Hello and welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And we're talking about cash, or rather the absence of it this week. And not our own individual purses, I hasten to add. Um, yeah, not wealth. The <laughs> yeah. actual physical hard cash. Yeah. 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 Um, and we were drawn by an article in The Guardian um, talking about the cashless society. We've talked about this before over the years, haven't we? But I think that COVID's really brought it more to a head, so much so that I've really noticed I don't know whether I'm supposed to carry cash or not. When um, the pandemic started, loads of places just said they didn't want any cash, which is understandable. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be um, coughing on your cash and handing that to somebody else and and then it getting passed around. Um, But then a lot of companies have had to adapt and and get card payment systems. But then, for example, we went to Shrewsbury at Oktoberfest recently and it said, oh, bring cash because card payments are, are tricky. So you, you go with a whole wad of cash. <laughs> Make it sound like I was going to drink a lot, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, but when you actually get there, everybody wants card payment. Well, they've all got these little... Um, Sum up and... little Yeah, little dongles that yeah. basically allow them to take... As long as they've got a mobile phone signal. And that, that, that was the issue, I think, that the uh, organisers of Shrewsbury Festival thought potentially there wouldn't be a phone signal, but... I don't think I paid anything by cash. Oh, I bought some pies by cash. Right, there <laughs> yeah. we go. Um, but all the way through 2020, I had a purse full of cash because I'd, I'd, I think I'd taken some money out for something in particular and then that ended up getting cancelled and that was just sat in my purse for virtually the whole year. Um, and even um, birthday presents for nieces and nephews normally put something in a card for them, but with the whole risk mm. of spreading disease. I, I did bank transfers instead. But, yeah, what was your experience of cash? Do you carry a lot of cash around with you? Have you found it tricky? Well, I exactly as you've said, I've, I've kind of got to the point where um, I apologise if I need to give somebody cash. Yeah. You know, so, so, for example, we've just been to London for the weekend, so I drew out some cash. Because I was thinking, well, if, you know, cabs or yeah, I, I wanted to, to be able to have cash, but of course... They, you cabs can't. don't take cash no, anymore, do they? No, no, they don't, because from a security point of view. Yeah. Um, but then but then we went in a rickshaw and that, you know, that was cash, you might expect. <laughs> so I don't like to not have any cash. Like, I've got a £5 note in my purse now and, and a few pound coins. All right, just in case anybody's thinking of robbing heads on the way, on the way home. home. Yeah. It's not worth it today. And so I feel like I haven't got enough cash. But what's enough cash? I don't. I don't know. It, I just feel. I don't know. I don't. Thirty quid, forty quid, just just something that if you needed. Because of course the other thing is, if you go into a shop and there's some technical glitch where their car payments aren't working. In fact, I was somewhere the other day and that happened. Then. You've got no way out, have you? Because you you've got no cash. But I think from a business point of view, so there's the security element. You know, you're not yeah. having to have people trudge to the bank, carrying the day's takings. I think that's you know that's that's a real positive. You don't even have to have somebody counting up the cash. You know, years ago I used I used to cash up for a big cash and carry, and it, you know, it would take ages. I remember balance. one of my Saturday jobs at Superdrug. 
many, many years ago. Yeah, you, you take the last half hour of work just counting yeah. up the cash. Yeah, trying to trying to balance, look for if, if there was a shortage or an over, you know, what's happened. Whereas actually, if it's mostly card transactions, there's not going to be any cashing up to do really. So, uh, but one thing that did occur to me, and, and I mean, the article's got some interesting statistics about the reduction in use of cash. But I was also thinking from the government's point of view, a cashless society is a really good thing, isn't it? Because it, there's a record of every transaction. So that sort of cash in hand culture um, becomes even harder. Uh, you know, it becomes even more difficult to navigate your way around because you're literally paying for everything. Mm. So yeah. from a, a money laundering point of view, it, it, it must be really efficient for the government to have a, a, a closer handle on um, how much money people are, are generating in their businesses. And yeah, and then um, big data, they get to know what you're spending your money on yeah. as well, don't yeah. they? So yeah. all sorts of organisations. I'm sure Meta has got a, a hand in knowing where to... Yeah. Well, sure, yeah. what you're spending all your money on and certainly Amazon have as well absolutely but the, the statistics you mentioned I, th- I think when we last talked about a cashless society there's been a massive step change hasn't there in the amount of people that um, don't use cash at all yeah cash, cash withdrawals from ATMs down 63% in a lot of areas um, and actually uh the number of ATMs is reduced. You know, those sort of mobile ones that... I say mobile. You know, the ones that aren't, like, cemented into the side of a bank. The ones that are within your local corner shop oh, yeah. and things yeah. like that. So there's been a decline in the number of ATMs as well. Um, and, of course, we're, we're moving towards this £100 limit. Um, the increase to £100. Which, to be honest, I can't come soon enough for me because... I keep forgetting. I just automatically go to present my card and then they'll say, oh, no, it's over the limit. You have to put your, <laughs> your card in. So it's surprised how quickly it's become second nature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, just a few um, pointers here. Um, the number of um, organisations that are refusing cash has gone up significantly. Uh, and there's a lot of organisations, some of the big ones, IKEA did it, Nando's did it, Itsu and BrewDog, um, all cashless. And I think even the organisations that are taking cash are saying they prefer card payment as well, and for all the reasons that you say. But what is quite striking is that almost double the number of people from 2019. So this is probably when we last talked about the cashless society. So about 7.4 million people in 2019 uh, led a cashless life. And that has jumped up dramatically with the pandemic to 13.7 million people, which still leaves quite a few people that use cash. And actually, I think the focus of our last conversation about the cashless society was the fact that there are some people that have no option but yes. to use cash. Yeah. yeah. So for people who can't get bank accounts, those people still ex- do exist. Uh, you know, and, and people actually have to do transactions in cash as well, which is, must have been really, really difficult last year. If, if somebody's getting their payments in cash and um, hasn't got a bank account, 
that their options have been really limited this last 12 months. Plus, you know, elderly people, you know, often like that sort of cash side of things because, you know, they come from a time when you, you, know, you literally got your pay packet and you divvied up your money, you know, <laughs> so much for the gas, so much for the electric, whatever. Well, like my granddad squirrelled his pockets of money around the house and uh, after he died, we were still finding money in, like, plant pots in the greenhouse or the shed. Or... <laughs> For security purposes, yeah. he was, yeah, yeah, hiding it. little cash here and there. I'm, yeah. I'm sure we missed some. But um, my auntie still lives in the house. Maybe she'll find some. Yeah, they'll be out of date notes. <laughs> they will, won't they? There was an interesting um, map that I came across. Um, I say interesting. It, it's talking about the declining cash withdrawals across the UK, a sort of by region. So up in Scotland, um, it, they're down forty-three percent, whereas in the northwest they're only down thirty-five percent, as in the West Midlands. Then in the southwest they're down forty-three percent. Now I don't know whether that's something to do with um, rural areas. You know, the, the southwest has got some quite rural areas, as has Scotland, but. But broadly speaking, you know, it's at least at least 35% down and then as much as, you know, in, in the 40s. So the there must be a knock-on effect because if less money is being taken out of cash machines, then Group 4 Security need to go around filling up cash machines less. You know, so you know, there's lots yeah. of... Now, there was a, um, a mention of that in this article in The Guardian. So a review, access to cash review, did you read that? No. And they warned that the um, infrastructure for ATMs and cash sorting centres were in danger of collapse. And that's because, as you say, that people are using them less. So the income from them yeah. um, is less, but the fixed costs are the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that might account for the fact that now there's fewer and fewer ATMs. And uh, the access to cash review is say that that's actually um, something that we have to be aware of. I mean, there are still people, I think I read somewhere, that there's still 5 million people in the UK that rely on cash. Yeah, still heavily reliant on notes and coins. So if, the, if all the ATMs go as well, then they, you know, they really are struggling. Well, yeah, because we had the whole, you know, more and more banks closing and being turned into pubs. Um so, so being able to go into the bank to draw out money became less less of a likelihood. Therefore, there were more ATMs, uh, and now if they're declining, but I just wonder. I mean, it doesn't really apply to me because of my biz my business. Everything's paid by bank transfer. I don't deal in cash yeah. at all. But for those businesses who do deal in cash, or for the banks who used to charge people so you know you'd pay more money to deposit cash into a bank than you would yeah to, so again there's going to be some cost implications there the post office you know post office counters get paid on how much cash they they bring in uh, you, how, you know so if people are banking less cash there's there's going to be a, a yeah, significant decline isn't yes, it? yeah yeah but if you run a corner shop um Potentially, it's a more efficient way of, 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 of getting paid. But if you are a, somebody who uses a card, and this is something that I have to keep reminding myself of, you lose track of how much you're spending. 
I think there's going to be, you know, a kickback. Well, there you go. You need yourself a decent banking app, Heather. And you have got one of those, haven't you? I do. I, I look at it several times a day. I, there's no way I can lose track of what I'm spending because my app neatly puts Tells it you. into a list or a pie chart. It, it groups all my transactions automatically and I can edit them. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I think that that type of app is going to be really important because, like, as you say, if you've got a, a wad of money in your in your purse yeah. or your wallet, you can see as it decreases, yes. can't you? Yeah. Whereas if it's just numbers in the air floating around in the ether, yeah. the the concept of what you're spending could be lost. So I think you do need something in its place, and so decent financial apps that link into your payments are really important. What about if you're a business then? So, say you were. Um, business to consumer which you're not you're business no. to business aren't yeah. you but at the moment i take it you would be getting yourself um a way to take payment by card absolutely because i think i think people expect it now i think for a lot of people that's the go-to it number of people that i know who literally go out with their phone yeah as a means of payment yeah my husband that was my husband too yeah I'll say to Stuart, have you got your wallet? And he'll go, I've got my phone. I'm like, oh, no, that's a bit scary. <laughs> well, if your phone doesn't work, you can't pay for the meal you've just eaten. <laughs> so I don't, yeah. If your battery goes Or flat. if your battery goes, look, well, we've had that with uh, tickets on the train, haven't we? we? Again, yeah. you know, there it is on your phone. paranoid about batteries going flat. So, yes, I would, I would definitely be finding a mechanism to be able to accept car payments. Yeah. Even as business to business, um, in the past, I have thought about, so if I was running a workshop or something, people could literally pay, Yeah, you know, right, book me on, right, pay. Well, I still do that. So I work for a global company, but sometimes it's easier for me to pay by company credit card yeah. or even by my personal credit card and claim it on expenses than it is to go through the faff of setting up an account yeah. for one com a company I'm only going to use once. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's easier to actually pay by card. Yeah. Just one transaction, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, so it's a, a changing um, a changing environment. and And I think that... Covid has probably just speeded it up. Yeah, I think. I so. think it was going to happen anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so don't uh, mug Heather on the way home. She's really not worth it for a fiver there. <laughs> no, I know. And and I feel a little nervous that I've only got five pound. The other thing is like parking. So. Go, you know, go. That's really annoying now if you have to pay cash. Yeah, because once upon a time, oh, money for parking, money for parking, money for You'd parking. You'd always keep a little bit of money in the yeah. car just yes, in case. exactly. Yeah. And now, like, oh, no, they don't want cash. They want card. You go, great. And then they go, we don't want card. We just want cash. And you're like, no, you keep... Can't do that. Can't do that. So then you, then you end up having to go somewhere to buy something, to get some cash back, to be able to go. But but the shops don't want to take the cash. No, no, well, no. They'll <laughs> well, they'll give you the cash on the cash back thing, won't they? Because they want to get rid of it as long as they've got it. It's a, it's <laughs> yeah, I was in that scenario over the summer. So there was one car park in the middle of nowhere. 
wanted cash and I, oh, what am I going to do? So, right, okay, I'll go to the ATM and get some cash. That's only notes, I need coins. I'll go to the shop and I'll spend the notes. We don't take notes. We don't take, we want cards. Oh, how am I going to get yes. coins? Yeah, I haven't factored in getting coin. I gave up in the end. I didn't park there. <laughs> I went somewhere else instead. But I think if if you are a car park operator out there, then yeah, yeah that's, that's a really important consideration. Or if you're a retailer, with and with, that is the only car a, park. Yeah, yeah, with a little car park down the road, which means that people are going to park and wander around your your shop. Um, again. There's lots of ramifications. It's not a straightforward... It's like a paperless society. I think I print more stuff now. Because <laughs> people keep sending me PDFs of things rather than... You know, in the early 90s, um, late 80s, when I was first working in offices and there was all this talk of the paperless society, I'm just looking around now, Heather. We haven't come that far, have we, really? We haven't. We certainly haven't. And the thing is, if somebody sends you an email and... You know, and you do want to print it out for some reason. The number of times that you've then accidentally printed out, you know, all of their the whole disclaimers and their footers, and you know, you're like, <laughs> that's a three-page email when all I really wanted was that that one page of text. Perhaps I need to get more efficient. Anyway, I sound well, like I'm ranting. Let's well, that sounds to me like uh, the psychology of the human workplace, Heather. <laughs> Oh, a rather neat segue there yeah. into the next section because we're reviewing Skillshare. It's a website and an app with online classes. And I've done a couple of the classes this week. Um, and one of them was called Plain Politics, the Psychology of the Human Workplace. Um, it's by Carolyn Borisenko. And uh, she apparently teaches people how human beings function at work. So I... I watched that. I listened and was it to interesting? that. It was interesting. Yeah, it's very American? good. Yes, she was. Okay. So a lot of the courses that I found on Skillshare were American, but um, that makes it no less. Sometimes I, I do sometimes struggle, and this is because my age probably, um, to engage if it's American, and, and there's a bit of my brain that goes, "Is that completely relevant to me?" But that's that's my issue. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just need to break through that barrier. And it was completely relevant and I found it very interesting. I then went on to um, listen to a, or rather watch a free workshop, and there are a number of these, about how to teach on Skillshare. Okay. Uh, and that was really very useful as well. Um, and there were eight lessons in this one. And... It was only quite short. It was only 21 minutes, but the eight lessons were very focused. And I thought that was a really good one to point out. So I don't know if um, you've ever used Skillshare before. I haven't. I've had a little nosy around it this week because um, because we were going to talk about it. One thing, one. so the first thing that I did was I started to go in to look at talks around the sort of areas that I might be yeah. training and teaching in. And... Um, and that you know that was all right, uh, but and so you know some you know twenty minutes for half an hour that feels okay to me. But then there's another one: double your social skills and communication skills. Three hours twenty six minutes. Wow, that's like so that's assuming that that person has got no social skills yet, and so has got three <laughs> hours 
to spare because they're not doing anything else. Well, and, and and also perhaps without the realization that that's too long. Yes, too long <laughs> to sit there. Uh, one of the things I did learn from the Learn to Teach um, a Skillshare class is that they recommend that you you put out a class each month. So maybe that one would have been a bit better split up into smaller into packets smaller yes. so that you, yeah. you drip feed and you publish a new class every month. So rather than everything I know about communication, you pick one element and deliver a half hour yeah. or hour program and then another one the following month. Yeah. And that way you build a following. And that seems to be um, the guidance that you're getting from Skillshare. So it says earn revenue, build a following and give back. And if, if you're already in that sort of field where you're thinking um, that's the sort of work you do and you need a following, then it seems like a good place to go to actually build it. I couldn't get to the bottom of how much revenue you could earn, though, interestingly, could you? No. I mean, they say something like, you know, yeah, $100,000, you know, it's like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. What's the realistic yes. element? Yeah. But you also get paid, um, so... If somebody only watches part of your... So, so I think the full whack is if somebody watches the whole yeah. thing. But if they only watch the first five minutes and drop off, you're only going to get paid for five minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, which... this I mean, the, the guy who's um, who was doing the some of the communication skills stuff, a guy called Alex Lyon, he seems to consistently have about 11,500 people okay. who are called students, which I therefore presume means that's how many people have, have, have watched, watched it, that. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, if you were getting a quid. Yeah, so a little bit of background. Students pay $12 a month for membership, um, and it equates to about the same in, in um, GBP. Uh, and you get rewarded for the volume of students taking your class and, as you mentioned, the level of engagement. Yeah. So the more minutes that people watch, the more monthly revenue you get. And you also um, get paid $10 for each new member you bring to Skillshare. So that's the one thing that I could find as a very definite figure on. Okay. $10 for each new member. So say you've already got a membership organisation or you've already got a bit of a following. If you move your platform to Skillshare and you start doing it through there, then you get $10 for every member that signs up for Skillshare. So would the same rule apply if you recorded a, a class and then posted it on social media for people to click through and I'm, I'm guessing, I didn't dig that far into it, but I'm guessing you must have a referral code you can yeah. use. Every, yeah. Everywhere's got a referral code, haven't they? So I'm, I'm guessing that's how it works. If you're interested in potentially sharing your knowledge, then go to skillshare.com forward slash teach. And there's all the different information in there. If you just go to skillshare.com, it assumes you're a student. Um, you need to go to forward slash teach. And I think it's something, um, you know, a lot of people that I've, we've known over the years, Heather, where you can imagine that that would be a very viable platform. Mm -hmm. A lot of people we know that do training and facilitation takes a little bit of thought to put it all online. Yeah. But once you've mastered that, it's something that you can do and keep the output going. But it needs to be in the format that they suggest. They give these very good 
um, lessons on how to do it. And I guess they do that because they know what works. So follow yeah. their guidance. And it guides you through um, the, the basics, choosing your topic, how to pull a project together, how to write a lesson plan, how to film it, how to actually then do merchandise, how to promote it. So the guidance is all there. And all of that guidance actually would apply if you just want to do it yourself absolutely yeah so you know that's really valuable information i mean yes and that bit is free yeah so yeah yeah. and 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 of course there's a whole raft of subjects so business related stuff um but also you know creative writing music photography web development you know some more sort of techie stuff um business analytics leadership and management marketing um you know i'm sure there's some interesting marketing classes where we all you know about social media or email marketing or whatever things where even if it just gives you something to think about you know sometimes with certainly with social media and search engine optimization and all of those types of things sometimes they feel so overwhelming that actually just to listen to somebody talking about it can help to focus your mind and you go oh okay all right so that's something that I need to think about. I suppose the thing I struggle with is it's not a massive fee, but it, it can be, um, it's a chunk out of um, a business person's income. So it's £123 a year. Yeah. And I'd want to know that the quality of the classes on there were good enough to justify that. Um, because there are lots of other places that you can do tra- you can get training for free you know how much is on youtube and yeah. people who want to have a following do put a lot of free content out there we talk about different um business people that we've profiled and they've got a lot of free content on their websites or vimeo sites or even ted you know yeah. the ted talks can be just as inspiring so i think i'd want to explore it a little bit further just to make sure that there was enough content on the subject I was interested in, really. For example, if I was interested in um, writing, so I, I am interested in writing, but there's some very specific courses aimed at quite the niche that I'm interested in. Yeah. And, and you can go there and you can pay a similar amount just for a very focused niche. Well, Skillshare is very broad, and I don't know yet how many of those are really good quality? I guess that goes back to the whole how many students. So here I am just looking. So featured marketing classes, write tempting headlines that convert and sell 80 students. Social media marketing, top tips for growing your followers and going viral, 64,121 wow. students. <laughs> so now, okay, maybe the writing tempting headlines one has only been up there for a week. I don't yeah. know. But you I imagine, I well, I presume that um, that is going to be some sort of indicator. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really handy is that you can have it in your pocket. So if you've got the app and say you're traveling somewhere and you like continually learning, you've got a range of courses that you can just on do. your phone. Yeah. You can listen into whether you're on the train or driving 
Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching any videos while they're no, driving, you of could course. Listen, yeah. um, and it, it's actually there in your pocket, and you could be educating yourself when you've got a bit of spare time as well. So it's not just web-based. The one thing I would say about the app, though, is that you can't manage your account from the app, or not as far as I could see. To manage the account, you have to go to the website. The app is just for content. And that that did confuse me, actually, because I messaged you to say, I, how, how have you done that? Because I was just on my phone and I didn't seem to be able to get into what I wanted to get yeah. into. But, um, but then, so I went... Go to the website. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and actually, from my point of view, I prefer to have it laid out on the website. I'm not great at viewing stuff yeah. on my phone. Personally, I, I would be looking at the website, potentially saving some that I liked, and then accessing them on my phone, your whether phone when you're out and about, yeah. available. Yeah. But other people just do everything on their phone, don't they? So it's horses for courses. What I recommend you do, though, is they do a seven-day trial, yeah. a free trial. You sign up for that. You put your de details in. You put your credit card details in. So make sure you set a calendar reminder yeah. to cancel it because seven days isn't a long time. So give yourself seven days when you know you're going to give it a try. Yeah. And certainly, if you're somebody who is a trainer and has got the sort of content that you could put online, it seems like a really good, interesting place to start. Rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, you've got an audience there already you could tap into. Trying to build an audience, that's a really difficult mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. So it, it, this might just be a good starting point. And then if you follow all of the guidance as well, you, you might learn to craft a really good online course. So think it's worth taking a look at be sure you know what you've signed up for if you go beyond the seven days yeah but i i thought i, I enjoyed the ones that i did watch you can it you can you can pay monthly for your subscription i don't know if you're locked into a full year or if you could if you could be a member for three months and then decide. from what i understand is it's although it's um sold as a monthly fee it's actually an annual payment right okay yeah. right okay okay all right, so something to look at from a business point of view, learning stuff, from a business point of view, teaching and sharing knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's worth taking a look, I think. Cool. Okay, so who are we profiling this week, Tracy? So this is based on an app that I discovered um, a couple of years ago, and this is the co-founder of Olio, Tessa Clark. Now, Olio is an app which I... Um, was informed about I've, I've downloaded i've used i've fallen out of use with it but it's a place where you can share um you you can actually donate um leftover food and other household items or you can pick up and you can get hold of leftover food and uh, i found it really useful apart from in my area, there wasn't much going on, mm. and then I just got a little bit bored with it. So I did, I did get rid of a few things at the time. Um, I had a, a relative who was working for a wholesalers, a, a, a vegetarian, vegan, like well-being wholesalers, and a, um, an employee perk was you could get a huge box of goodies for a fiver. And I always used to get, oh, I've got all this left. Do you want this? Right. And then out of all of that, there'd still be some things that I didn't want, you know, so like loads of um, flavoured teas and things like that. So I, I put them on Olio. So I did did get rid of them. But, yeah, I just didn't really get into it. I, Tessa I, Clark's an interesting lady. I did have a look at it, I think, around the time that you were using it. 
And what I felt was really interesting and surprising is that people would literally be putting up, you know, the the heel of the loaf of bread. Yeah. Or two eggs or, you know, just stuff, which it's brilliant. That is fantastic. But... It's not what you'd normally expect to see, no, is it? No, no. I mean, if it was, you know, I've got I've got six tins of soup that I don't like or some nappies that I don't need to use or whatever. I wonder, I, I imagine it's taken a bit of a hit during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, it mu- yes, it must have done. Um, but the, the way that um, Olio came about was that... Um, it, Tessa herself had a light bulb, a light bulb moment. She describes it uh, in 2014, and she was moving house, and she had a load of food left. So here, I've got a list here: six sweet potatoes, a whole white cabbage, and some pots of yogurt. And okay. she thought it was a waste to throw them away, but the removal men quite rightly wouldn't pack them. No. Uh, I, I agree with that one. Uh, she was moving um, from Switzerland back to the UK, so really, don't take yogurt. No. in your removal van no. um, and then she was trying to think well who can I give them to can I give them to a lady who's normally um, outside the supermarket do I knock on a neighbour's door and she just said she felt defeated she she had these sweet potatoes, cabbage and yoghurt that were perfectly fine wouldn't have been travelling from Switzerland to the UK and that's where the idea for Olio um, the food sharing app came from time so, so so if you've got a glut of you know like when people grow stuff in their gardens yeah. so say they've got loads of green beans or loads of apples or whatever people would sort of give them out to their neighbours yeah. wouldn't they yeah I remember that from my childhood because yes. we used to grow things and you'd, yeah, you'd just share them out amongst the neighbours so you might give a load of courgettes and somebody might give you a load of tomatoes yeah, yeah. so it's you does this feel if you knocked on somebody's door and said i've got three pints of milk that i'm not going to use do you want them you know is that a bit weird clearly it is these days <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just trying to think now would, would i want to go and knock on my neighbor's door and say i've got some milk see now you see i have done that but this is this is a classic situation where i get myself in scrapes right so Little old lady across the road has milk on a Saturday. Um, I used to go and get it for her. I went to drop it off and she'd already been to the shop and got it because she'd forgotten that I did that. Okay, So I've got all this milk and we don't use an awful lot of milk. Plus we have our milk delivered to the doorstep. Now there's a young family next door. and So I've got four pints of perfectly good milk that I am not going to use. So I did knock the door and say, can you, can you use this milk? Because it's all been a bit of a, um, and, and, and they did, but that was an exception. I don't think, I don't think I'd look in my fridge and think, I've got a crust of bread left. Yeah, I've got four (laughs) eggs and some spring onions I'm not going to use. I wonder, oh, who I wonder who. Milk seemed like, milk, young family, you're going to get through milk. Take it, the bottle was sealed. Yeah, it was absolutely, literally just come from the shop. Uh, so... Yeah, so I I, I, I I find the concept weird. I think COVID, it would have taken a bit of a dip. But she said that when they started it off, they started, they basically set up a WhatsApp group, 12 people who all lived local to one another but didn't know each other very well, and then just got them to share 
what you know food that they'd got hmm. um and that i think it's a great idea but it just it is it is but all the pained look on I your know, face I, it, Heather. there's something that doesn't quite there's something that doesn't quite add up doesn't quite work now i understand that food bank wouldn't take some sweet potato a cabbage and some yogurt you know but there must be I don't know. It, it's a great idea. It's saving the planet, and that's that's fantastic. I, lo- I love all of that. I just don't know. I don't know how. It, I don't know. It just feels a bit weird. Okay, so let's move away from the neighbours bit. So another element of Olio is that, um, for example, Pret a Manger yes. and Tesco, if they've got leftover food. Yeah then they've been putting it on the Olio app as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, that I can totally get. Yes. You know, so, uh, sandwiches. Yes. Are, you know, they've got to the end of the day and they've got all these sandwiches left. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and that, that's very clear. Yeah. It's come from a proper food place. Yeah. And they're passing it on. And, and that's why I noticed when I was using the app that not around my area that were a bit sparse but if you go to some of the bigger towns and cities then there were a lot of these things available you know with the sandwiches available and i think you know could be really positive but clearly they're doing something right um one of the most recent articles i found um was in the grocer okay from september this year and they've raised 43 million pounds um, to help them with their global expansion plans. Okay. So okay. It's, it it's is just... still going. It's yeah. still going. And they're, they're targeting um, Latin America, Northern Europe, and Asian markets. And they're looking to roll out the Food Waste Heroes program in the UK, with the company aiming to attract 1 billion users worldwide by 2030. So they're looking into the future with this sustainability. They've got the funding in place. The app's tried and tested. I guess you just have to get to a tipping point with something like this where that becomes the thing that people do. So whereas when we were kids, we we used to share with our neighbours and something's changed in society. Maybe we don't know our neighbours quite so well. We don't see them so much, certainly, do we? Um, That maybe that... um, that permission to offer people food is, is sort of gone. But yeah. may, maybe we can turn that around with society. I don't know if maybe I'm just a bit weird in that, yes, the, the whole, if, because it used to be, I remember Marks and Spencer's um, in Shrewsbury when I was a, a kid, any foods in the days when they didn't open on a Sunday, so any foods that they had on a Saturday night that were out of date, the Salvation Army used to collect and used to take around and give to homeless people on the streets so they'd be eating Marks and Spencer sandwiches or whatever it might be. Absolutely, totally. But I don't think I want things that have been in somebody else's fridge unless I know who they are. Because you just don't know. (laughs) What about... So what I gave away was a a lot of um, flavoured teas. Okay. Would you go for flavoured teas? That would be... I'd feel a bit more comfortable with that, yes. But not totally. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd just be afraid that I'd turn up and it would just be some awful place. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Tessa Clark. Um, 
And Tessa, the co-founder and CEO of Olio, uh, I found her on LinkedIn. She's got a, a good um, detailed profile on LinkedIn there. So you can find out on there where interest lies. So she's a um, just this year become a business mentor with Virgin Startup. She does that on a part-time basis. Um, and she's also done a degree in where are we she's done it at cambridge social and political sciences she got a first class degree and then went on to do an mba at stanford university um, in america and uh, she's had quite an interesting range so starting off um, with some consultants as an intern she went through the boston consulting group um, then she went to retail week uh, publishing and um, Managing Director for Planet Retail. Then she moved into Dyson and was involved in e-commerce. And then Wonga.com, where she, her um, job was to clean up Wonga, it says in here. Uh, she was brought in to change how the business, who the business is lent to and how it treated its customers. I think um, uh, Wonga had a Gosh. bit of a bad reputation yeah, they there. Did, didn't they? Uh, so she's been a, a mentor on a number of um, different programs and uh, ambassadors for other programs, board members, uh, chair of management boards. And uh, yeah, quite quite an active lady in the business world. Says she's passionate about sustainability, the circular economy and zero waste. And I like this. This is one of my big things. A uh, strong proponent of businesses that combine profit with purpose. Yeah, oh yeah, we've talked about that. In, yeah, in indeed. The past. Yeah, yeah. An interesting um, statistic is a third of the food that we produce globally is thrown away, and in the UK, households are responsible for over half of all food waste. Wow. So we're pretty bad. Yeah, we are, aren't we? That the average family throws away seven hundred pounds worth of food each year which adds up to £12.5 billion pounds going straight into landfill. So, I mean, you could argue, particularly at the moment, you, you know, with the, the supply issues, are we buying too much food? I'd say definitely yes. So, you know, there's an education thing there, isn't it? One way to stop waste is to encourage people to... We've started using HelloFresh. Yeah. Right. And the amount of food that they send for a meal for two, compared to what I would buy in the supermarket, is amazing. Because if you're having something with minced beef for two people, you don't have to buy 350 grams of minced beef for 500 grams. Yeah. They'll just send you another Enough. two people. If you're, if you're having sausages, you don't have to buy eight sausages. Well, we talked about this sort of idea um, when, when we talked about these food delivery boxes, didn't we? Mm. Um, but also um, delivery services in general, because it, if you're doing a weekly shop, there will be a tendency to make sure you've got plenty, plenty of food yeah. to see you through the week. If you have the ability, the time or the distribution network yeah. that enables you to, to top up shop, then it becomes a bit more possible to, to shop as you go along. Yeah. But you also have to change your approach in terms of, 
you know, do I go in with a set idea as to what I'm going to eat this week and I've got to get that food? Or do you get take the mindset, I'm going to eat what's available? Uh, certainly, I found that recently that I've shopped more like that because the, the idea of going to the shop and deciding we're going to have X, we're going to have roast chicken. If there aren't any chickens, you're not having a roast chicken. Exactly. So, and maybe this is where... where in order for societies to become sustainable is to go a little bit more with the um the idea that you you eat what is available and and you make the most of that and that also lends itself to seasonality more it's rather than expecting everything that you could possibly want Mm -hmm. to be on the shelves now it's been a bit of a wake-up call because everything you want isn't on the shelves is it and and this whole idea of um, Christmas and they say, no, you might not be able to get X, Y and Z for your Christmas lunch. Well, OK, do something different then. Yes. Try something different. Yeah. But it takes a cultural change, doesn't it? It's a big shift in society. And, and that's the one thing that, um, that Olio was saying is that it takes ages to, to change behaviour. And I think that, you know, they're hoping that taking small steps will... I don't know if there's going to be a bit of um, peer pressure. You know, if, if if it goes according to plan, people will go. Well, you mean you don't you you don't recycle your food? Yeah. You know, people will be like. Oh. Well, there is a little bit of that with recycling in general, isn't there? So now the expectation is that you would put your recycling box out, and if you don't, you know, yeah. your neighbours would look a yes. bit oddly at you. Your family might put a little bit of peer pressure on you. So it might go that way with food as well. You know that you were referencing a third of food um, for human consumption goes to waste. Did you pick that up from the article in Founders Factory? Yeah. Yeah, so that was from this August. So it's a good little article here. um, It's um, an interview with Tessa Clark. um, And she also, in that same article, talks about some of the valuable lessons that she's learned. And I think these um, could actually be quite useful for any um, business owner, to be honest. Um, First one being, don't stay tied to your hypothesis. Continually test and validate. Don't stick with it just because you've decided that's what you should do. Be prepared to flex, yeah. Um, Growth and engagement should come before monetization. Interesting one. Uh, I think a lot of the times you're thinking about how you can make money from it. Uh, But I've got to admit, I've seen a few examples of... Uh, successful businesses where, where you think initially well I don't see how they can possibly make money and then something shifted they've got the um, crowd behind them they've got the engagement and lo and behold a way to make money from it um, materializes well look how, when we talked about BAM and the bamboo socks so they seem you know to start with first I heard of them they just keep sending me free socks you know <laughs> and now multi-million pound business yeah not from just sending free socks no yeah Uh, be aware of the unintended consequences of your product i think that's going to be really important for all businesses going forward Uh, this focus on sustainability it goes just beyond what you do within the confines of your business you know your your office your factory what else what other impact is that having on the world um, changing consumer behaviour is a long, challenging process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so says Tessa Clark, and no doubt is is 
on that journey now. And consumers, startups and corporations all have a role to play in driving change. And I think it's the startups that come in that disrupt industry that that can really make the difference. We've talked about uh, disrupting industries, haven't we? And it's often you find that the bigger corporations have to follow because these new newbies have come in and they've disrupted it so much that they've got to play catch up. One, absolutely. One thing that she does say um, around uh, knowing what... um, knowing what the conse- the unintended consequences of your project your product she talks about that they have been and, and i think you know i've probably just been having that conversation food poverty is a huge issue but it isn't one that can be solved by food sharing uh, we've come under pressure to divert food towards homeless shelters for instance but that isn't going to um, that's not the issue that they're yeah. trying to solve and it's important that they don't lose sight of their actual mission uh, so they're not, you know, even though that's... Um, yeah, it's easy for your mission to be railroaded by somebody else's mission, yes, isn't it? Into, in, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, interesting stuff. One last thing that she did, um, she does mention at the end of that article are some books and podcasts that she um, that she. Oh, um, I missed recommend. that. Do share. So The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate by Naomi Klein. The Lean Startup by Eric Rice, we've um, talked about that in the past. And The Great Disruption by Paul Gilding. Um, so, yeah, we, we might want to check out. We might out have to have a read of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tess. So we'll go and have a read of some of them. 